Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm the host, Roland Godet, with my wonderful wife, my co-host. Yes, Summer, Summer Godet. Summer, as usual. And on the Record of Our Forebears podcast, we discuss some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So, sit back, relax, grab a pen and some paper, or since it's 2023, grab your note-taking app on your phone and get ready to learn something new. And today we're going to be discussing... Jackie Yates and Betsy Stockton. So I'm going to just give a brief overview about the life of Jack Yates and just some of the things that he's done. Have you ever heard of Jack Yates? No, no. Tell me about him. Okay. All right. So that's good. That's good. I got somebody that you haven't heard of yet. <laughs> so here we go. So John Henry, or Jack Yates, was born on July 11th, 1828 in Gloucester County, Virginia, to uh, Robert and Rachel Yates. Both his parents were enslaved. Uh, when Rachel became the caregiver to the enslaver's child, uh, as the child grew up and was learning how to read, that child eventually taught Jack how to read as well. Mm-hmm. So Jack would also, he would stash reading materials. Like when he'd go to the fields, he would like take reading materials with him. And then any time that they had any little bit of a break, like they were supposed to stop and get water and stuff, he would be pulling that stuff out to read. Um, he also was trained to be a carpenter uh, while he was a slave and it was at that time as he grew up into a young man that he met a woman named Harriet Willis who was enslaved on a farm on a plantation next door to him and he married her and ended up having they were going to have three children together uh, later on in their life Um, he also started attending Christian meetings uh, that were held like in the woods by other with other enslaved people and Eventually, he became he became a Christian. Um, as soon as he became a Christian, one of the things he started doing is hosting his own meetings. Like immediately, he was like, "That's what he felt like." You know, they taught him that the gospel needed to be spread. He was like, "Okay, I'm gonna spread it too." So he mm-hmm. would just at night, once he was off work, host his own meetings. Uh, he was seen by his enslavers very trustworthy, very intelligent, and so when his enslaver would go on business trips, he would take Jack with him. And so while he was there, he picked up all this financial knowledge just from being in business deals with his enslaver. And so between that, learning all the financial knowledge and his uh, work as a, car- as a carpenter, at night he would build furniture mm-hmm. for people and sell it. He was able to save up enough money to buy his own freedom. And so he did that. And he also tried to buy his wife's freedom and his children's freedom, but her enslaver, didn't, he didn't want to sell her. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to uh, get rid of her. So when uh, President Abraham Lincoln uh, issued the Emancipation Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, January 1st, 1863, um, in order to keep his his slaves, his wife's owner took them to Texas because he knew that Virginia, the Union was coming and eventually the slaves were going to be free. So he took them all the way to the, the most western part of the Confederacy mm. at the time, Texas, which was still under Confederate control. So as long as it was under Confederate control, they can keep the slaves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack, not wanting to be separated from his wife, he was a free man. He didn't want to be separated from her. He voluntarily re-entered enslavement to be with wow. his wife and three kids. Wow. Like that is... 
I mean, that's love. Yes. <laughs> it's, the real, it's the real love. But uh, wow. wow, yeah, that is, when I read that, I was like, that is, you know, it's almost unfathomable to even think about. Like most of the time we read these stories, we hear about just the devastation of a mother having to leave her children mm-hmm. behind or a husband having to leave his wife or a wife having to leave her husband and they never see each other again. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy was like, I'm not leaving them. And if I got to go back into slavery, so be it. So be it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going. So eventually um, they get to Texas and they settle in Galveston. So on June 19th, 1865, when Gordon Granger, General Gordon Granger of the Union Army arrives in Galveston mm-hmm. to read General Order Number 3, Telling them that they have been set free, which is we know the origins of Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Jack Yates and his family are there. Mm-hmm. Like they, they are there. They meet like they're there to meet General Granger. So he at one of the places. I think there were three places where he read the general order in the city. They were there, and they were able to celebrate literally the very first Juneteenth, uh, like in Galveston, mm-hmm. together. and together with mm-hmm. his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the enslavers basically gave the Yates family two options. They say, hey, you can stay here, but you're gonna work for free, we're not paying you, or you can leave. And they were like, well, we're out. So Mm -hmm. they left. (laughs) (laughs) They ended up moving to Houston. And uh, when he got to Houston, he became what's called a Dre man. So a Dre man is a, it's like a, so a Dre is like wagon. You know like those wagons, those flat wagons, like you see them in commercials, they have like barrels on them, Mm -hmm. like no sides, drawn by a horse. That's a Dre. So he was like that kind of guy, like driving a Dre um, with some horses. And he also became a Baptist preacher. And while he was there, you know, as a Baptist preacher, he did some missionary work uh, amongst the free men and women who were rapidly moving to Houston once the, once the Civil War was over. Um, and the first uh, black Baptist church is called Antioch Missionary Baptist Church. He was there to help organize that and became their found, founding pastor. Okay. And that was in January 1866. Um, also, by 1869, he had built a house and it was the first black it was the first two-story house in like the black area of Houston. Mm, okay. And uh, it, it, it was in a place called uh, Freedman's Town. And right today, that area is now the fourth, war, fourth war, ward of Houston. Okay. okay. And so, yeah, so the area is still there. And he built the first two-story like structure <laughs> in that area. Wow. And it was his house. Um, he, most, like I said, most of the uh, members of his church were also former slaves and um, by 1875, the Antioch congregation had erected a church building with the help of a couple of other Baptist churches in the area. And with him at the helm of the church, it became, you know, like the social and political center and cultural center of the life in black Houston. Okay. Um, and so much so that, um, in 1972, uh, he partnered with some, uh, a few other people from, uh, an Episcopal church in the area, another black Episcopal church in the area. And they bought 10 acres of land. And this land, the intent was uh, of the land was for the black community to celebrate Juneteenth. Okay. And they bought this land and they named it Emancipation Park. It's still there today. Wow. It's the oldest public park in Texas. And for a long time, it was the only public park that black people could use mm-hmm. because of segregation. Because of segregation. Yeah. So and that was 1872. 1872. Yep. Okay. And so they brought this land and named the Emancipation Park for the sole purpose of celebrating Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. So like Jack Yates has this like 
his history is entwined with the celebration of mm -hmm. Juneteenth that, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about, you know, in the summer and, mm -hmm. you know, that we're trying to, you know, get more information out about mm -hmm. Juneteenth. So, um, so along with uh, some of his ministerial work, he was a pioneer in education. Uh, when the federal government set up the Freedmen's Bureau schools and uh, some churches in Houston, he volunteered Antioch uh, Missionary Baptist Church as a spot for them to set up a school. Mm. He also uh, set up a school called um, the Houston Academy, I believe it was. And the Houston Academy eventually became, it, it was like the first, it started off at a school like during the day it would train children and then at night it would train adults. Mm. But eventually it became a high school. It became like the first black high school in Houston. Wow. Still there today. It's named Booker T Academy or Booker T High School today, Booker T Washington High School. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, once they had a second high school, once that one started getting too full, mm -hmm. they needed a second black high school because it was still segregation. They opened up a second black high school in like the 1920s. They named that one Jack T. Yates High School. Aha, uh -huh. so, okay. Right, so um, he also helped bring the first black uh, Baptist college to Texas. Uh, it's called Bishop Academy, and it was an institution that prepared students for, edu uh, for employment in trades, business, and ministry. Um, so in December on December 22nd, 1897, he was only 69 years old. Uh, he died, and he's buried uh, now at College Park Cemetery in Houston. Now, remember that two-story house that he built? Mm -hmm. That house is still standing in Houston. Wow. They actually moved it to Sam Houston Park from its original location, mm -hmm. and then they rebuilt it to, they had a picture of it from like 1890, mm -hmm. and they rebuilt it to look like the picture because it had some work done on it through the years. That's awesome. So it looks just like the picture. Inside cool. the house, yeah, it's, it's man, I saw a video on it, so <laughs> inside of the house, they have some original things that Jack Yates bought, like mm -hmm. a clock that he bought, um, his original desk where he worked, and in his bedroom, they have his walking stick, his cloak and his Bible on the bed. Wonderful. Like his, like old, like you could tell it's <laughs> full of notes. Mm -hmm. Like, man, it is, it's incredible. Like we, when we go to Houston, mm -hmm. so that's, yeah, we're going there. Um, <laughs> so Jack Yates High School has some very well-known alumni as well. Okay. People that you would know. Like when I was reading through it, I was like, oh, summer might find this interesting for okay. sure. So some of those uh, include actresses, Debbie Allen and Felicia Rashad. Oh, wow. Yep. Journalist Roland Martin. What? Yep. WWE Hall of Fame wrestler Booker T. Oh my gosh. Yep. And George Floyd went to wow. Jack Yates High School. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yep. Wow, awesome. Yeah, so Jack Yates is by far one of the most interesting people mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I've read about. And as so in Houston, like a lot of people in Houston know Jack Yates. So like he's, a lot of the videos, like when I was like looking up some things, I was trying to find maybe some videos on YouTube mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the stories were from like the uh, the news station in Houston. Okay. And so like, you know, every, you know, year on like Juneteenth, they had like, you know, a news story, mm -hmm. something about Jack Yates or somebody from his family talking about him. So he's well known there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of things written about him. And so when I was looking for like books and I was like, man, I got to find something, you know, written about this guy. And there's one book about him. It's called The Life and Efforts of Jack Yates. And it was written by his his children. OK. Published by his grandchildren because both the children died before the book can be published. OK. And there's literally like less than there's not a lot of these books. There's like 
20 books. There's only like 20 of them. And I had to order it, and it took me a long time to get it. <laughs> but it's worth it. It but was we worth have it, it. right yes. here. It was worth wow. it to get it because it is That's it's incredible. Dope. Like Jack, dope. yeah, Jack Ace is one of the dopest people I ever. Man. man, yeah, yeah, that's all, man. <laughs> wow. I mean, just in, in the book, there's so many more stories. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is it, he's an incredible, incredible, incredible man. Like, the the idea of like going back into slavery is it's. <laughs> I, I mean, mean the, the only word I can think is unfathomable. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and the only thing I can compare it to is I just so like you know so Jesus chose to come to Earth. Mm. Okay, like, I see where you're going. And I, but I think that he, <laughs> like, I think that it may have been, it may be his Christian, like his commitment mm-hmm. to Christianity mm-hmm. and his belief in God that would allow. That's the only way that you would mm-hmm. do something like that. Yeah. Because if you are selfish, then you're out. You like, or if you have no, like, well, I don't care about them. I know they're my wife and kids, but you know, I got to think for myself. Mm-hmm. He was like, Nah, I, I can't leave them. Mm-hmm. Can't leave my wife. Can't leave my kids. So whatever I got to do. Wow. Yeah. So. Jack Yates, man. Wow, amazing. <laughs> Just amazing. Like, wow. Um, I feel like every year, even, you know, myself as um, a black American, like I'm learning more and more mm-hmm. and more about um, the importance of Juneteenth, right? Yeah. Learning more and more about the importance of the um, the black people who, the black Americans who lived in Galveston. Yeah. You know, I told you, I know my, my family has origins yep. there and I've been learning more about that. So, wow, what an amazing story. Um, wow. To America, again, both American history mm-hmm. um, to Christianity, you know, blacks and um you know, people of the African diaspora uh, yep. who identify as Christians. Yep. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And I just can't, I feel like super special that we have this book <laughs> like right here. And, um, you know, to me, I'm like, Ooh, this is just rich. Right. And just worth Oh yeah, so much oh, yeah, um, yeah, to yeah. me. So wow, and I'm I'm happy that this is going to be a part of our family, oh, absolutely. and I hope we'll be able to pass that down to our children. And so I'm just like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm nerding out right now. Oh, That's what good. I'm doing. I'm geeked and nerding out. Okay, so I would like to um, share just a little bit uh, about Betsy Stockton. Okay. Now, Bexie uh, Stockton was born into slavery in Princeton, New Jersey in 1798. She was enslaved by Robert Stockton, hence the last name that she took on, a local attorney who actually gave her. So he didn't keep her, gave her as a gift to his daughter, Elizabeth, Mm. and son-in-law, Ashville Green, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Now, he was the eighth president of the College of New Jersey, the College of New Jersey, uh, which is known today as Princeton, oh, okay. Princeton. And um, Ashville was a, the pastor of a second Presbyterian uh, church um, in Philadelphia. I believe he was a pastor there. Um, but 
the important part is where this journey is going to take Betsy um, moving forward. So in the household, it was told that she was encouraged um, by her um, ambitions and um, her intelligent attitude. So she was allowed to read, which we know. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's rare. Was rare and was, um, you know, we know it was a law where, you know, if you were enslaved, oh, you, yeah. you could not read. And we know about the power of reading yep. and how knowledge uh, really uh can you know awaken you even if you don't feel something innately wrong mm-hmm. with enslaving another human um, when you're able to read you can actually read you know how that uh, how it should not be right mm-hmm. but she was encouraged to do so and so she was self-educated she taught herself um, when she was able to get any kind of book mm-hmm. she would read it and what's important to note is that she was essentially in the household of the president of the university. So she had access to um, a lot of literature, you know, some of the best uh, and written by the best and brightest because it's from Princeton. Right. right. We know this now. It's a part of, you know, that that Ivy League. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it is believed that at some point she was emancipated um, between 1807 and 1810. Okay. Um, however, she was still considered, you know, like in under indentured servitude, right? Okay. Um, she wasn't free until she was about 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And we've had discussions about this too, about maybe why the person wasn't let out of the household, yeah. maybe to keep them safe. We don't know, but she still uh, had to work under a contract, right, right for a right. certain period of time. And um, I, I thought this was really cool because I kind of saw like this link that I didn't really know that a lot of black Americans um, who were enslaved or if they found themselves, you know, as an indentured servant, right. that they were like sent out or rented out. Yeah, She was just like those many other black American Christians that we talked about yep. um, from this time period. She was loaned out to another white male. Um, and um, in southern New Jersey, she worked with him for uh, about three years. His name was Nathaniel Todd. And um, before returning uh, back to Princeton, but she worked there and she used her spare time or what little time she had. Right. Um, to access Todd's library for her own studies. So she was with, you know, essentially a professor um, um, and learned what she could from his books. And then she went with the teacher and then learned more and just continued to teach her herself. Um, When she returned back to Princeton, In 1816, she uh, she converted to Christianity and um, joined the uh, Princeton Presbyterian Church Um, when uh, she kind of expressed her interest, then kind of like what we just heard of, like, I'm a Christian now. I need to follow the Great Commission um, because that is a part of, you know, what I what I should be doing is sharing the gospel. She expressed her interest in becoming a a Christian missionary Mm -hmm. and she was able to do so. She was granted her freedom and accepted into membership by the American Board of Commissions for Foreign Missionaries. Wow. So on November 20th, 1822, Mm -hmm. Betsy Stockton and 20 other missionaries, they they uh, went up to Connecticut and they set sail from New Haven, Connecticut um, for the Sandwich Islands. The Sandwich Islands. 
as you know, are what mm-hmm. we call the Hawaiian Islands. So she went to Hawaii. Wait, so that's crazy. So wait, when was this? This was 1822. So I'm trying to think of like how from Connecticut, how do you get to Hawaii in 1822? You got to go like south of all the way around South mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. Man. It was a long, <laughs> long journey. Yeah, that's a and this that's incredible. A Incredible, you know, just again, the reoccurring theme here is like these people, like the audacity of these black mm-hmm. people to say, like, I know what I'm supposed to be in the role that has been given to me, mm-hmm. but it's like when they have this knowledge, well, God got something better what, for me of who God is, <laughs> yep. and this is like. Nothing can budge me. Nothing like I know who I am mm-hmm. and I'm an image bearer and I have a mission. And it's like when they have a mission, you cannot stop them. Stop them. Like she was like, I'm going to be a missionary. Like, who are you? Yeah. And she <laughs> um, applied and became a missionary. And um, that journey, that long, long journey. Oh, my gosh. Um, she wrote. The whole time she journaled, journaled about her journey. It was five months long wow. and it was a one way journey. So, um, you know, I really started to think about, man, what was she thinking? Like, OK, how are you going to get back? Like, yeah. you know, but she didn't plan on getting back. I, she planned on this is what my what my um my call and duty is. Mm-hmm. And so she took that journey. Um, she wrote about the difficulty that she uh the difficulties that she faced, mm-hmm. her spiritual journey, her interactions with the crew um, and other missionaries. And then she wrote on how she became close friends with um, two other missionaries, actually a husband and a wife, Charles and Har- Harriet. And um, she ended up becoming Harriet's midwife oh, wow. on the journey. Uh, Harriet ended up giving birth during the trip So just think about This long Five month long trip In 1822 You know they don't have The amenities And mm-hmm. everything That we have today She helped this woman Give birth um, And They were still On their journey All the way to Hawaii yeah. I mean were you thinking Like well we'll get there You know I'll give birth When I get there mm-hmm. But you on a ship For five months no. Like that's your whole That's almost a whole Term pregnancy. of pregnancy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's half of it Yes Wow So um, She became very close with them And helped You know um, Harriet You know Help her You know With the baby And everything So um, She was stationed In uh, Maui We know You know mm-hmm. About Maui That larger Part of, of that Island strip In 1823 And Up until that time the missionaries who, you know, who went throughout the uh, country, um, throughout the world, they really only instructed like the wealthy people. Mm-hmm. So it, when you're thinking about this community of people, that means they were really going to and to teach the children of the chiefs. Right. Okay. The people in power, the people who were wealthy and um they limited, you know, what she could teach, but she taught reading and writing and math um, and to the missionaries' children and to like the wealthy people of the land. Okay. However, Betsy, you know, she's different. She has a different viewpoint mm-hmm. being, you know, a black person, being a, a person of a, a group of enslaved people. And she encouraged, I would say, you know, advocated to not only teach the children of the wealthy people, but to teach the children of the uh, common, ordinary people. Mm-hmm. So she was able to teach not only the, the wealthy or the leaders of the land, mm-hmm. the children 
of the farmers, oh, of the wow. ordinary, of the common folks. Um, and she created a, a school there just for them, for the common wow. people. And um, she ended up learning the Hawaiian language there, um, creating that school. And she taught everything. She taught English. She taught algebra, Latin, history, oh, um, and all of this from a self-taught person. Yeah. So this this missionary association, they saw that. And so they were like, oh, OK, great. You can do this. And it's just mind blowing to me. It's mind blowing to me. Um, and so her, the site of her school right currently is the location of um, I believe it's called the Lahaina uh, Luna School But there's a school there oh, wow. um, To this day And her journal That she wrote Was actually published Published in 1824 uh, By uh, Asheville Green And his newspaper He started a paper Called the Christian Advocate Okay And um, he just knew Just how uh, well versed she was, how intelligent was, um, her, how she quoted the scriptures, mm-hmm. her understanding of the scriptures, that this was something that all Christians needed access to her words and yeah. to learn from her, which was just amazing and mind-blowing. Um, she left Hawaii in 1825. She returned back to the mainland, um, and she returned to Princeton and she taught black children in public schools there. And she also taught Sunday school at the Witherspoon street Presbyterian church. Now this church was built and created by black Christians. You know, we've talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, those, those amazing forebearers, right. Who had to do this. We're thinking about the Methodist church, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a previous podcast where they had to create a place for blacks to worship because of the hostility, mm. unfortunately, from white Christians, right? Yep. Yep. And so this was, it, you know, in the same along the same lines. Black Christians once fellowshipped uh, with white Christians um, at the first Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. However, there was a fire, and they had to rebuild that first Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church. Um, however, the white members said, we don't want the black members to come back. And um, there was a lot of things going on. You know, you and I, we know, and we talked about like that kind of back to Africa movement. We had a colonization. Yes, thinking about all those things. And so it was said that some of those members thought that the black people who lived in Princeton were going to go back Back to to Africa. And I think they were upset when a lot of those people said, I'm not from Africa. Like I've been here um, for uh, generations, you know, mm-hmm. those were the people who were bef- who came here before yeah. me. This is my country. I've built yeah. this country. This is my land as well, mm-hmm. and we don't want to go essentially yeah. to a foreign land. Yeah. It's not like they're going back to Africa. They had never mm-hmm. been there. They never been there, yeah. and so I, I think that there was obviously frustration there, and so they were uh, dismissed. They were wow. dismissed, and so the Witherspoon Street Presbyterian Church was built um, by the black members of that church, so that they. Continue on mm. with you know the Great Commission, and um, it was pastored um, by um, Charles Gardner. Um, they said one of the f- and another pastor or other pastors, Paul Paul Robeson. If you know anything yeah. about um, Black American history, yep. about um, that famous. Um, Actor, civil rights activist. His father was a member of the Witherspoon Street Presbyterian Church. So, um, and I'm sure there are others, uh, but these were, you know, um, known um, 
individuals who are known in American history Mm -hmm. who are members there. In 1828, she was asked to become the principal teacher in a school for African-American children in Philly, so in in, um, Pennsylvania. And she taught there and there was so much that I I, uh, learned that I um, just watching those videos Mm -hmm. from different authors talks and how we still kind of see this today. The schools were created because a lot of the black children were Mm -hmm. just, even white children, we know during this time, they could just be abandoned Mm -hmm. and on the street and so uh, the members of the black community were like we need someone to who can come and who can lead us Mm -hmm. who can lead our children and um they they actually asked her Betsy Stockton to come in and to teach the children there and she did and um she ended up going back to Princeton and she died there um in October of 1865 Um, she lived in Princeton for more than 30 years she never married she never had children Mm. however she was a mother to many and she was a matriarch in her community and um just a wonderful wonderful person I'm so happy um that I got to learn about Betsy Stockton so that's awesome yeah mm-hmm. like she never married like just her commitment was to God mm-hmm. like, like that's mm-hmm. that kind of reminds me of like the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul never married didn't mm-hmm. have any children he just was like I'm doing God's work mm-hmm. like I don't have time to worry about it. we know the <laughs> mm-hmm. but if you if you ever talk to any I would say any teacher I won't speak for like mm-hmm. post-secondary but a lot of times when you look at um, elementary teachers mm-hmm. or, you know, they consider those students in their classroom, their, their children. children. Yeah. And so I feel like she probably touched way more children yeah. than she would have, you know, having to give birth. And a lot of the things that she did, she was the first uh, black woman missionary. She was the first single woman missionary. Yeah. She, a lot of those things may or may not have happened yep. um, had she, you know, um, had her own family yeah. got married and um, but yes definitely a trailblazer yeah. and um, just another um, wonderful wonderful um, example of um, a black Christians who we don't know about mm-hmm. um, but we should know and so yeah awesome story well thank you thank you for sharing Betsy Stockton with us and y'all know the deal you know the drill by now remember this we got notes in the description Find the resources, read them, get familiar, get familiar with Jackie Yates and Betsy Stockton. Thank you. <laughs>